Hello, Atlanta sports fans. I'm uh, This is Graham here with a disclaimer. Um, we had a little bit of an audio issue for some reason. Our microphones decided to record everything really echoey. I have tried to make it sound uh, better, but there's going to be a little bit of reverb echo action going on. Apologies about that. Uh, we'll make sure that doesn't happen next time. Just want to put that little disclaimer there. Still a pretty decent episode, and it's very listenable. It's just sound like we're a little bit in a well. So uh, enjoy and here's the episode. What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam. He's going to Louisville tomorrow, Kalal, and we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was Atlanta professional sports, wacky SI jinx, and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, it's going very, very well. Welcome back to the new and improved. Is this the Adam Klaus Studio? This is, is that what we call this? Studio. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, so far, Atlanta Zone is the only podcast that utilizes it, but I have hopes for uh, you know running the space out eventually. Sure. Yeah. Some loser band was using it over the weekend. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah it was a little for chaotic. A little chaotic. Stay, stayed past their uh, welcome point. Yeah, they, so they played way too late. I'd have charged oh. them some late fees. Yeah, that's fair. But um, yeah, going to Louisville tomorrow for a very specific reason, and I have no idea if this is okay to put out into the open, because I haven't discussed it with him, but I'll do it anyways. Okay. So I'm going to... Cons- wait, wait, wait. Let me guess about what you're going to say. Because I think everybody's like, what, what, what secret Adam has with some some guy? What's going on here? Are you going to ask whoever you're seeing about, um, I don't know, some sort of existential question? It sounds very serious. Like you're you're going up to see somebody because they're having like a really rough time or they have a drug problem or something. What's going on? Well, Graham, I feel like you should be able to figure this out considering you know my brother and sister-in-law oh. live in Louisville. So it's not really that big of a deal then. It is, but it isn't. It's not like yes. he's got a drug problem. So, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, would, I would not be the one having that conversation. It's a little too serious for my liking. Right, or on the, at least on, these, on this air. Correct, yeah. correct. Uh, no, David Carson, who is the lifelong Bengals fan. Oh, poor bastard. <laughs> Ended up uh, going to the Super Bowl. Oh my God! He, he got, was there. He got a ticket to Holy go in. Holy shit! And uh, yeah, oh he, my God, that poor poor soul. So he was there to watch his team. And keep in mind, this guy, lifelong, diehard, family season ticket holders. True blue fan. That's why. That's why they went to the game. Uh, but he ended up sitting by himself, away from the rest of his family, just because that's it's not easy to get a ticket to no. the Super Bowl. I've never tried personally, but that's that's the word around town. And you know that game was just rough for the Bengals. Like they were, it was so it had just shades of Atlanta professional sports in the fact that the Bengals looked like the better team. The Bengals had an advantage. They forced what two turnovers? Two turnovers, yeah. but didn't capitalize on it. And every time they kept punting in the second half, I was like, this is going to come back to bite them in the ass. And sure enough, and sure enough, it did. Yeah. So. Young David had to witness his team that he traveled far distance, paid good, paid a lot of money to see. Yeah, not good money, like an obscene amount of money. Yeah, and then you <laughs> lose, and then you got to come back from that, and then you got to see you next week. And this is a horrible fate for this guy. So I have no idea if he's like okay. Um, you haven't talked to him since can, the loss. No, no, no. Oh. I'm going to say that for a person. Whew. So 
all, all I know is that he ended up like having to like take a bus by himself and like couldn't find his family afterwards oh or something. So it, it just it, it gets worse and it, worse. It sounds like just trying to get on Marta after the game after the NFC Championship loss or something like that. Right. Not a good time. No. So I hope he's okay and this isn't going to be like something we can't talk about. But I, I feel like now we should be closer because he knows the same Super Bowl pain. Of course. Granted, ours was worse. Ours was much worse. But I would say being there and being that close to winning might equal or surpass the the, the horror, the sadness, the pain that we felt just, just because he was there. Yeah, that must have been a shitty Monday morning for young David. I, I'm i amazed. Like, I wouldn't be able like, I was a shell of a man. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I was, you know, plenty of times going to be a shell of a man, but that, the, the day, the week after the Super Bowl, even two weeks after the Super Bowl, I couldn't function in reality. Everything was bullshit. I hated everyone. I just wanted to stick my head in the sand and do nothing. Yeah. I cannot imagine what it would feel like to, to go to that game and, and lose it like that. Especially when what, they're up 20 to 13 after that field goal they got after they forced the, the last Stafford interception. Yeah. You open up the third quarter with that amazing T. Higgins touchdown bomb. I was like, holy shit, here come the Bengals. And then... All comes down to offensive line play well, once yeah. again. Aaron Donald killed it. They had a re- they gave up a ridiculous number of sacks. seven sacks, I think. Yeah, yeah, and they couldn't do anything on offense after that bomb. They that was a seventy five yard touchdown pass. They they accrued seventy five yards after that in total offense the rest of the second half. And he kind of pushed off on that pass as well. T. Oh, Higgins. sure. Yeah, <laughs> he got away with it. Yeah, no, it was the face mask. Um, yeah, so that, that that was tough. So the Bengals. Are just like the Falcons now. At the end of the day, not the champions no. of the twenty twenty one NFL season. I always felt a kinship with David from his. Uh, well, he's a good guy, but uh, just from you know suffering with sports with uh, the Bengals. I think he's a Reds fan too. Um, so you know it's just a tough life to live, um, unless you're in Tylertown, USA, in Atlanta now. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I've always felt a connection with him. I feel I felt for him so much. Like he was the first person I thought of when they beat the Chiefs. He's the first person I thought of when the Bengals lost. I was like, this poor. I had no idea he was at the game. That's just whoa. It makes it worse, right? It was so much worse, infinitely worse, unimaginable, unfathomable. Um, ugh. especially as an adult. It's not like he's a kid. He's not gonna like really remember it that well. Like when I went to Game Four of the '96 World Series, I still remember it, but I don't like. I have visceral memories, but it's not like lodged in my brain forever because I'm not an adult. Like it's a little hazy. Yeah. Fuck, man. I can't imagine being an adult and going to that game. Yep. So I'll be. I can't, I can't recover from that. I'll be seeing him tomorrow, which is four days after. Hopefully. Uh, Make sure he's doing. Hopefully right. he's out of bed. Yeah. At least at yeah. this point. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, tough times. Yeah. Sorry, David. We Sorry. feel for you. Yeah. We we can relate. Yes. On many levels. Um, Adam, let's get into some Atlanta professional sports. There's breaking news. This afternoon, Adam, the Falcons announced they have released Dante Fowler Jr., the uh, defensive end slash outside linebacker, who was another resounding signing by Thomas Dimitrov and his amazing scouts who know exactly how to scout the trenches in the National Football League. The Dante Fowler, Fowler Jr. era is officially over. We do not have to endure another season of underperformance from him. I mean, that was pretty much just a desperation signing from the Get go. Well, it was. It was a lot of money, you know, for a player like that. And that was just, you know, it, it was it screamed classic Dimitrov. 
you know, where we had seen moves like this before, where he, you know, in desperation, we had offensive line problems in 2015 or whatever. So he gets, um, or no, defensive line, excuse me, and he gets, yeah, uh, signs this uh, Tyson Jackson guy who was, you know, he paid him like 45 million over three three years or something. There's another defensive player he signed that uh, Paul Soliai, another really overpaid guy. It was that same year. It's like we're gonna make big impact signs. We have some cap money. Let's just throw it at, you know, the two highest priced defensive linemen that we can find, and they were both horrible. And same thing happened with Fowler. Now sometimes, you know, to Mitrov's credit, did work with Alex Mack. Alex Mack had a great run here, but um, you know, Fowler was just another classic Paul Soliai, Tyson Jackson, Stephen Jackson sort of signing. Yeah, I mean. You win some, you lose some, and not, no one gets it right every single time. No. But all, all these being wrong so many times on especially, free agents that you pay a lot of money. Especially like, in the trenches. It just sets you back so many years. Yeah. So are we, are we even saving that much cap money? So it'll basically leave the Falcons with $4.6 million in dead money that they can't use. Um, it's unclear how much money this will actually save us in the long run, but we were going to have to pay him $29 million this year after re- renegotiating his contract last season. So we're not sa- we're saving money that could have been foolishly spent. Yes. So so really, this is nothing. It's like, no shit, we were going to cut him. Right. There was no chance for bringing back a guy who only got four and a half sacks last season. Cool. Yeah, so there's some classic depressing Atlanta sports news for everybody. I also just want to run down what Dante Fowler did here. Played in 14 games in both seasons. Um, only had about 60 tackles. In total, he had seven and a half sacks in two seasons. With uh, just four, four, four forced fumbles. That is hard to say. Three Fs in a row. And, um, yeah, only eight tackles for loss. So it's, it was an absolute bomb. He had a couple games where, like, he looked like he was getting after the quarterback or making some plays. Yeah, I mean, I remember that Bills game. I don't think he got a sack, but he was in Josh Allen's face like three or four times. You, you saw moments where you could tell he was a, a decent player. But, you know, I think there was part of it in the first year where he wasn't healthy. And then this year, the rest of the defensive line is so bad, minus Grady Jarrett. And, you know, he just never really rose up to the challenge, unfortunately. And I don't put it all on him. But, yeah, it was a, we, we overpaid big time. And we, you know, have reaped what we've what we sow. We've and we reap what we sow. Yeah. Falcons have a lot of creative moves to make. I still expect Grady to possibly be the next D lineman on the way out because he's actually valuable. He is very valuable. You could get probably a first rounder and a second rounder for Grady. I'm just throwing shit out there, but he's thought of to be one of the top. Five to ten defensive tackles in the in the league is a premium position, and we can't pay him. We can't pay him. Like I said, it's time to tear it down. Do what you want to be. What the what you want to do. What the Bengals did. You got to tear it down. It's as simple as that. And Grady, unfortunately, due to his contract, is a guy that has to be moved. And you have to accrue draft capital. Got to keep doing that. And he would be a great way to to to, to get more draft capital. There's just no no doubt about that. He is definitely the most tradable player that you have in terms of he will probably return you the highest value. Not Matt Ryan, not Jake Matthews. Certainly not Jake Matthews. Grady Jarrett's still in his prime. He's still in his 20s. Calvin Ridley as well. Calvin Ridley would probably be second or maybe third. I don't know. But probably maybe second. Who knows? But Grady Jarrett, I think, is undisputedly the, the, the best trade ship you have right now. 
it's nice that NFL's not in a lockout, so we can actually <laughs> have an off season. get some off-season <laughs> stuff going. Yeah, that's the worst thing about baseball. Pitchers and catchers were supposed to report today, Graham. They were. They I were. feel. You know what I feel bad for? Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little baseball with you, Graham. Please do. I feel bad for. Remember, we built that brand new spring training complex at like Myrtle Beach. Yes. So the season they built it was the 2020 spring training, which obviously got cut short because of the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. And then last year, I think they were fully functioning last year, but then this year they're losing out on games and revenue again because of a lockout. Yeah, the thing's just a husk. It's a nice facility, um, but I feel some sort of thing for the, the residents and you know the people working there that kind of sucks i mean a spring training facility is a pretty bleak thing to be in charge of in terms of like times to get excited yeah i'm about to say it's a pretty bleak thing to talk about <laughs> you don't care about the north Myrtle beach uh no I it's mean, called like cool today stadium or something, something like, that? like that no I, I, I do not wow i mean I, I went to spring training once when we were at espn yeah so. I, I was there with you it's a great time sure wait I don't think you were with me. Oh, I was with the Josephs. Yeah, you weren't with me. Saw Chipper Jones stretching. Oh, yeah. No, I went the year after Chipper retired is when I went to spring training. Oh. Saw Juan Francisco and a couple of bombs. Like, he's a third baseman forever. <laughs> Him and Chris Johnson. Uh, that didn't pan out. No. But, yeah, spring training's pushed back. But, Graham, I want to talk about potential Braves lineups. Okay. So, knowing that the DH has been implemented... The DH will be implemented according to Rob Manfred. That is the only thing that has been decided in the lockout so far, correct? Yes. Graham, you were squawking about something the other day. Some news you were all excited about. Oh, baseball's coming back because the owners made a gesture. I was saying that the they're going to talk to Manfred some more and that Manfred said that you know he's going to do everything he can to not... You know, miss any games, and that the DH was agreed upon, and and then and then the draft pick for if a free agent signs somewhere else, you know that team losing their draft pick or whatever, the team that their free agent was originally on is is nullified as well. So I was like, they're making progress. Maybe something will happen, but I guess nothing's happening, and it doesn't really matter. It's all it's all just to get our hopes up and then tell us to go screw ourselves. It's still only mid February. Yeah, I just need baseball back. Yeah, um, as a, from a sports fan, sports fan's perspective, one of the great things about this time of the year is the hot stove, and we've had literally none of that. We had Max Scherzer sign a ridiculously overpaid deal, the New York Mets, and that's it. And it sort of counterbalances, you know, the time before March Madness, the lull of, you know, the time after the Super Bowl, um, and all that shit. So yeah. It, and, you know, the Hawks have been a challenge to watch this year, as we've discussed many times. So, yeah, from a sporting fan's perspective, it's absolutely necessary that we have baseball offseason. And not to have it is just incredibly detrimental to just enjoying life as a sports fan. All right. Check this out, though, Graham. What we can do is speculate about lineups. All right. And are you going to assume Freddie Freeman is back? I'm making a couple assumptions here. All right. All right, batting first, playing right field, Ronald Acuna Jr. I'll agree with you there. Good. That's easy. Batting second, playing second base. No, 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 no. 
Let me switch these things up. Don't put Dansby out there. Batting second, playing first base, Freddie Freeman. I love it. DH, you're going to want them at the top of the lineup. You know, you don't have that pitcher down there anymore. I want him down there no matter what, Bob. Um, <laughs> what depends on who you tell, who's the DH. All right. Oh, it, this is where it gets fun, Graham. All right, so first Acuna, second Freddie. Third, I'm going to bat Ozzy third. Okay. Playing second base. Don't love that, but. Fourth, Austin Riley. Playing okay. third base. Okay. Fifth, Marcelo Zuna, the okay. DH. Sixth, let's go with Darno. Catching. Fine. Seventh, either Jorge Soler mm. or Rosario. Okay. Are you saying that, that? That's only seventh. Eighth. Adam Duvall. Uh-huh. Ninth, Dansby. Okay. That is a sick lineup. I'm gonna I'm gonna tear it apart a little bit. So. Uh, well, well now that I have all the names out here, right, I, 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 I could do I could do some rearranging. Okay. I could go all right, Acuna, Freddie. I mean, if we have Solaire putting him third. I would about to suggest that because you have Ozzy third right now, right? I would bump Ozzy down because he does have a great on-base percentage. With Solaire's contact ability and on-base ability that was exemplified in the highest manner, especially in the postseason, I would move Solaire to third, and I would put Ozzy probably sixth. And then Darno, Rosario, seventh or eighth, and then Dansby ninth. Yeah, that's a sick lineup. Though, yeah, man. No, that would be that would be pretty ideal. And then Duvall. I forgot about Duvall, of course. I mean, I might put... Yeah, I put Duvall eighth probably. You could you could rotate. That's this. a hell of an eighth yeah. place hitter. Oh yeah, no, that lineup's deep, very deep. That sounds nice. Obviously, a couple things need to happen. Yeah, you gotta bring back Freddie Freeman. You Chip, gotta bring back Solaire. Did you hear the Chipper interview on ninety two nine The Game? No, talking about it. Basically, you know, Chipper and Freddie are friends. Yeah, very so good friends. Chipper's got the inside scoop. He's been through negotiations with the Braves. Chipper understands the whole ins and outs of like ownership and yes. not really knowing what revenue was going to look like with COVID last year. That's why the deal wasn't done last year. And the, now they've kind of just obviously waited too long. Right. And, um, you know, Freddie's gotten a few offers from them, according to Chipper, but he hasn't been happy with it. So what Chipper said is that Freddie is going to play where he wants to play. So all money's probably going to be the same. But at this point, the only question is, have the Braves pissed him off to the point where he would rather play somewhere else? Yeah, I wouldn't really say that all the deals will be the same, even from the Braves' standpoint, because Anthopolis has been notoriously cheap, I think, in these um, negotiations. Not just with Freddie, but with other, other players as well. I mean, you think about how the... I mean, it's worked out. I'm not saying that to be, you know, an asshole. Like, you know, he totally underpaid Ozzy for what he's worth. Totally underpaid Acuna for what he's worth. Those guys agreed to it, so it's, you know, whatever. Everybody was, I guess, mutually happy. But he's always been a penny pincher because that's the style of ownership that Liberty Media runs, even with winning the World Series, even with getting a shit ton of money from the playoff run and the entire season having great attendance. Um, so so he's the opposite of Thomas Dimitrov. Yeah, he's, and it's helped He's him. gotten us great deals. Uh, yeah, overall. I mean, he, he pays a lot for short contracts 
yes. one-year deals. Yes, but the long-term deals he's never been a fan of, at least with this work. Which makes sense. But yeah, I just think with how good Freddie still is, he's still the premier first baseman in baseball, I would eat a couple of years of him not doing too well, and I wouldn't really care about it. Like, is that really going to kill your organization? Think about what you have to do to replace him. If you want to go out and get Matt Olson, right, you're going to have to give up top-notch prospects. He's the first baseman on, on Oakland. You have to give up top-notch prospects, and then you're going to have to pay him pretty much what you're going to pay Freddie, or maybe a little less, but not that. It's negligible, right? So it's like, why would I want to give up top prospects, even though I would get a slightly younger first baseman when I have the guy who's been doing it for 10 plus years and is the best first baseman in baseball now and still has at least three to four more prime years in front of him, barring any health issues. Could slide Austin Riley to first. Could. Bring back Soler and Rosario. Sure. I don't know who's playing third base in this scenario. Yeah, I don't know. It's it becomes tricky at that point. You gotta get creative. Yeah, and I'd rather not get creative and not rock the boat and say we're bringing Freddie Freeman back and just give him the extra year and if he wants 10 or 15 million extra dollars per year then fuck it I mean like I just it's it's really weird to me I mean I can get it with a guy like Donaldson not paying Donaldson what he wanted because he was old he did have a resurgent year but he was he was old and injury prone Freddie's not Freddie is in tip top shape Freddie is not Albert Pujols or Miggy Cabrera where he has like a weight problem or something like that where his knees are going to break down Freddie is still in his prime I, don't, I do not understand this rationale. I don't think that logic should apply to everybody, this whole long-term extension stuff. you got to consider it on a case-by-case basis. Not saying that he's not doing that, but that's how it comes across. We've always had this discussion in the past before we were world champions like we are now. Yeah. Would you be okay? So, like, part of me is thinking this is true to Atlanta to finally get what we wanted, but then to lose the face of the franchise and Freddie Freeman. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you look at, like, the Marlins – they got two World Series between, you know, they won in, what, 97, 2003. Right. And they would just tear it down, but then come back and win again. Right. So, you know, maybe not overpaying for Freddie Freeman is the smart thing to do and will live to fight another day. Yeah, I mean. Versus trying having to pay all these. Because we're going to have other young guys we're going to have to pay to keep this together That's a at good all. point. And, you know, not – if you lose Freddie Freeman – it's not like you're screwed or anything. It's not like you have to go out and find someone who's comparable to bring in here. And there's not a main guy. I mean, Olsen's the number one guy that's, that sticks out that you would have to go get at that point. It's not to say that you're, you're absolutely screwed without Freddie. It's just he's here. He loves it here. He's still a great player. Yes, you bring up a good point about what does this do down the line, but how much money Liberty? I mean, how much money that we've that the organization's made off – this team, especially in the last season, it just would be inexcusable to me. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you got to think the Max Freeds of the world, you know, we're going to be having to pay them soon. Yeah, Max Freed, I'm still up in the air on whether what Austin, I want to do. Austin Riley. Austin Riley is definitely, he's, I think he's solidified himself. Um, you know, Dansby is a guy that I'm not like dying to which, bring back, even though I recognize his, his, I recognize his value, but, um, you know, it's not like the end of the world if you were to let him go to me. When by the time comes, I think he's still got two more years of arbitration stuff. But yeah, you're right. Like in the next four years, you will have to if you want to keep Max Reed, you will have to pay him. If you want to keep Austin Riley, you will, Austin Riley, you will have to pay him. The list goes on. Yeah, right. Just, just everyone, don't lose their mind if we don't bring back Freddie. Yeah, it's not it's not the end of the world. But you will have to, if you if they do nothing to replace his production and get some loser, 
you know, journeyman first baseman, I will be fucking pissed off. You gotta like you Anthony, gotta show that. Anthony Rizzo's not gonna do it. No. He's a good face. Yeah. But he's he's a solid player, but he ain't no Freddie. He's Freeman. maybe three quarters of the player Freddie is. If that. I would say you get Olsen. If you do not bring back Freddie, you must get Olsen. And it could look great. Yeah. And he's he's younger and I think in the next year or so he might be comparable to Freddie potentially. He's already got similar looking stat line, it's just can he do it on a consistent level? I don't know. But he's the guy you have to go get. You have to get an impact first baseman. Because that has a lot of production to replace. But as for the Braves stand, and now Adam, it's time for a word from our friends from DraftKings. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is just too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360, windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. DraftKings has any sport that's in season with tons of huge cash prizes at stake. League of Legends, NASCAR, PGA, NBA, college basketball, it's all there right now. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests and more. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TPPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TPPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older. Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee Red Line at 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY. That's 8778-H-O-P-E-N-Y. Or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. All right, Adam. It's time for the third edition of our uh, looking back the NLCS through the lens of the Los Angeles Times and the ridiculous columnists, uh, Bill Plaschke and Dylan Hernandez. We've done game one and two and listened to their, their analysis, if you can call it that. And now we are at game three, the recap of game three, which for those that don't remember is the Luke Jackson game where he gave up a three-run bomb over the grand slam to Cody Bellinger um, that pretty much gave the Dodgers that game, even though we were winning the entire time. Um, absolutely brutal, but as we know, we triumphed in the end in the series. But yeah, this is a recap of that game from the uh, the pen of one Bill Plaschke. Yeah, this, um, this newspaper is from Wednesday, October 20th, 2021. So it's about four months ago now, Graham. Six to five win for the Dodgers. We know that already. Tony Gonsolin got the win. Luke Jackson, my boy, with the loss. The elite closer. Jansen with the save. This one was tough for me personally. I remember being home. It was an afternoon game. I was watching this downstairs by myself. Yeah. That that weird band was up upstairs. <laughs> the weird band was upstairs. The band upstairs. Playing again, and I was just yeah. having a grand time. Yeah. We got off to 4 nothing lead. We heard you screaming. And yeah. it, it really upset me when we, we scheduled those dates like 
a month ago and I was like, whatever, yeah, October 17th and 18th works for everybody, so let's do that. Little did I know we'd be at the NLCS and I'm missing part of this game. Yeah, we're not used to planning around about deep playoff runs. No, and so it was funny. We Whenever we'd stop, it was like the perfect time. Whenever we stopped playing, we'd hear you go, <laughs> like you'd be screaming, going, I was like, oh, something good's happening. Yeah. Yeah, alas. Luke, Luke killed me. Yeah. So our boy Bill Plaschke was all over this one. Uh, I'm sure he was just stroking his mustache. So this one was titled, This One Was Over, dot, dot, dot. But then it wasn't. <laughs> no punctu- punctuation at the end of that one. It was over. The game, the series, the season, it was over. The Dodgers trailed by three runs that felt like 30. They were down to their final five outs. The Atlanta Braves were on the verge of a three games to none lead and a nightmare that was skidding towards a sweep. Then it happened, Graham. Crack. Roar. Crack. Roar. Is this some children's book? Cody Bellinger happened. Mookie Betts happened. Dodger Stadium happened. Oh, yeah, that was so intimidating. Randy Newman happened. Randy Newman. It's Randy Newman. He's a, he's a composer. What the hell is he talking about? He's the, he's the Toy Story. He's a Toy Story composer. Yeah. yeah. You got a friend in me. Maybe they play that at After they Dodgers hit a home games. Run because they're losers. Oh. I mean, it's a nice song, but I want to play that. Oh, after. well, then he says, Rolling Down the Imperial Highway. Is that a Randy Newman uh, yeah, song? Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> There's a connection. <laughs> had to read a read ahead. As a late afternoon chill descended upon Chavez Ravine on Tuesday with scores of their fans and most reasonable hope having abandoned them. With scores of their fans and most reasonable hope. Okay. Okay. Having abandoned them, the Dodgers located their heartbeat, found their magic, and burst through the shadows. Ugh. To kind of, for lack of a better term, resurrect ourselves. I think it's huge, says Walker Bueller. We don't care what you have to say, Walker Bueller. We want to hear what Plasky has to say. And no, this is at, this is over the top, Graham. And what was, <laughs> and what was arguably the most stunningly impactful Dodgers postseason victory since Kirk Gibson? Oh, please! Hit a slider into the same set of bleachers 33 years ago. Bellinger blasted a three-run home run with one out of the yeah, blah 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 blah. Uh, that's hy- hyperbolic. <laughs> they're, gonna, they're gonna say that's bigger than anything they did in like the World Series in 2020. Well, it looked like an apparition. It sounded like a train. It felt like a dagger. God. This is painful to listen to. One minute, the Braves postseason perfect reliever Luke Jackson, which is still just like a weird sentence. That is a very nice sentence. Was throwing gas, and the Dodgers were sucking air. (laughs) Just like this article. The next minute, Bellinger was walloping the bar far and high into the gathering mist, and Betts was driving the ball into a deep and unattended patch of green, and the grand old stadium was shaking at its core. Plaschke says the Braves stood frozen and stared at one another from across the diamond as if to say, this is bad. This is, this is bad. You want to know what's bad? This article is bad. The Braves still lead the seven-game series two games to one, but it feels as if they're on the ropes. Ugh. We were here, let me, let me predict what he says. This was the same situation from last year where this mighty team dug deep and showed that Spending $256 million per year is a way to win a World Series. Close. I mean, he mentions that later. Right after that rope statement, he says, the Braves still would be considered statistical favorites, 
but it feels like they're doomed. I mean, I'd be lying if there wasn't a lot of Atlanta fans that kind of felt the same way after that game. That, that's a fair point, Greg. Yeah. Uh, they can do this. They will do this. I, they will yeah. win three of the next four games yeah. and advance to their fourth World Series this. in five years because to beat these Dodgers in October, you can't just knock them around or knock them down or knock them senseless. What do you mean you can't just do that? What are you supposed to do? I guess you have to kill them. You have to cut off the head. Which is true. The Braves learned Tuesday what the San Francisco Giants and St. Louis Cardinals have already learned earlier this postseason. To beat a team that has won three elimination games and one unofficial elimination game just this month and three more last year, you have to squarely, soundly, unequivocally knock them out cold. Okay, you're right. But isn't beating someone senseless knocking them out cold? Mm. If you don't have any senses, you're knocked out. It's interchangeable. It's stupid. That's a good point. That's a good point. So he claims the Braves put up a valiant effort, which is nice of him to say. Um, But yeah, the October magic, it spreads. Started two weeks ago with Chris Taylor's walk-off homer against the Cardinals. Continued with Bellinger's eventual series-winning hit against the Giants. And now this. Four runs with five outs remaining. The Dodgers rising from the deepest part of the canvas, more alive and awake than ever. It was over, and then it wasn't. Not now, not yet. And maybe for this special time, in this extraordinary time... Oh, sorry. And maybe for this special team, in this extraordinary time, <laughs> not ever. Ugh. Well, the funny thing is... I remember that. They will do this. They will win. They will win the next three or the next four games. I just I mean, hate that It's shit. funny looking at it from a different team's perspective, because it's like four down with five to go seems insurmountable. But we know the Luke Jackson of old. Like, yes. His numbers last year, yes, he was elite. But still, we remember Luke Jackson from two to three years ago. Yeah, and especially in the playoffs. Like, remember that Cardinals series? Um, he didn't even play in 2020 because he was terrible that season. But that Cardinals series, he was awful. I mean, he helped us win a World Series this year, but he that, did. That, that was rough. Yeah. But, you know, we got Plashke excited for a day. God, it's just. That was painful. Like, at least the first article from Game 1 was like, all right, this is, yeah, there's some decent pros in here, but, like, that entire article, that whole line, this is bad. This is, I was like, that was just ringing through my head the rest of the time you were reading. I was like, this is just the worst. Um, and any, like, I don't care if you're a fan of the team, I'd be embarrassed by that article. <laughs> like, I mean, it, it was their first win, so he was feeling pretty cocky. Yeah, he's feeling pretty good. He's feeling yeah. pretty good. Woof. Well... So Braves lead Braves two to two one to still. One. Two to one. Got a bullpen game coming up. Yeah. Today at five PM on TBS. I can't remember who pitched uh for them. Someone of note. I think it was gonna be Urias. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was so weird how like we had Morton that game and I think they bullpen game three and then we had bullpen and they had Urias and it was like we win game four, they won game three. When on paper it should have been the other way around, but what a wacky, interesting series, for sure. Look forward to seeing how it finishes. Yeah, in all seriousness, when we beat those assholes in game six, I was like, "There's no stopping us." That was like the Ravens beating the Broncos, and when they made their Super Bowl run, when they took down Peyton Manning, and no one expected them to do it. Just like when we beat the Dodgers here, I was like, "No one can beat us now." Yeah, it's like the Red Sox when they finally beat the Yankees. Yeah. 
came back from three down. Right, and they crushed whoever they played. That I think it was, Maybe it was Texas. I, I don't know. Oh no, that that wouldn't make that sense. That would make sense. But yeah, whoever they played was just it was just didn't a, stand a chance. No, yeah. it, was, it was just you're running into the buzzsaw. Yeah. So, sometimes those uh, league championship games are the deciding factors. Yeah, yeah, and definitely in, in our case, it was for sure. All right, Adam, let's talk some Hawks. The Hawks continue to be an enigma, Adam. The last time we talked to y'all a couple weeks ago, we were playing the Suns. A team that is the best in the NBA, the defending Western Conference champions. They were 41-9 and going into that game. And we steamrolled them. We crushed them. We played a complete team, team basketball. It was the best game the Hawks played probably since that opening game against uh, Dallas. We also killed them. And I tell you, I was like, all right, this is it. Here we come. And, um, you know, since, since that game, <laughs> we've gone uh, two and four uh, with horrible losses against San Antonio in particular and Toronto. And it's just like we can't figure this out. Now, John Collins is also hurt with a foot strain. He's going to be out um, until probably after the All-Star break. Tonight's the last game before the All-Star break, I think, against um, Orlando, which I hope to Christ we win. But it's just been a very up-and-down performance again, Adam. And I think no one really exemplifies this more than DeAndre Hunter. Um, In February, DeAndre is shooting only 40% from the field, only 29% from three-point range. He's had games where he scored 23 points, like against Toronto. He's had 18 last night against Cleveland, and he shot really well from the field. And he's had other games, like the game against Boston, where he played horribly, shot 4-16 from the field. Um, you know, where it's just been... He, he has really confounded me recently. Everybody loves DeAndre. I love DeAndre, too. But he has been... He, he's kind of like... He, he, he's like the single embodiment of how the Hawks are doing right now. Has some nights where he's great as other nights where you're just scratching your head wondering what the hell is going on out there. Yeah, Steve Holman was losing his mind on the radio on Sunday for that game against the Celtics, mm-hmm. just like saying, like, DeAndre should not be in this game at all. No, he like, was horrible. He, it, 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 he was turnovers left and right. He was making dumbass fouls. Yeah, he had two, shooting terribly. Two turnovers. Open the game. He opened the game with a three. I watched that entire, entire game. Um, and the weird part about it was, like, he started off strong – Everybody started off strong. The Celtics looked disinterested. They looked like they didn't want to play uh, that game that day. We were out hustling them. We were out rebounding them. And then somewhere in the third quarter, everything just turned, and we couldn't score. We couldn't get anything going. We were playing a lot of isolation basketball. One of the things that we've talked about a lot this year has been when we are moving the ball well and we are scoring at will, it comes from us moving the ball and everybody getting a chance to really possess it and find the open man. This was just, once again, classic isolation Hawks basketball where one guy gets the ball does a fadeaway or shoots a three uh, that's contested, and it's like we have no offensive rhythm or game plan seemingly. And I just, I know you can't be, like the NBA season is a marathon. You can't be perfect every night, but it's like there is no semblance of consistency on this Hawks team, and even when we see them at their best, it's like we know the worst is just around the corner. Yeah, I mean, in general, you, you could make the argument that recently we're showing up to play against the good teams not against the bad teams, like with the great win last night against the Cavs. But that was after the terrible Spurs loss. The Celtics loss. But the Celtics are a decent team. Like, you would think that you could get up for a Sunday primetime. Like, that game was on ABC. Yeah, you would too. think that'd be a game you could get up for, but apparently not. And 
I know you had mentioned the athletic came like um, oh, yeah. Chris Kirshner had an article about this with Clint Capella. This is a crazy. I've never heard a player be this blunt before. Uh, so Clint is quoted as saying, "Yeah, our approach the entire season, we were already thinking we were going to the playoffs. Our approach wasn't about the next game. It was, oh, we won this, we won that. That's the problem with teams that are not used to this. I'm not so shocked." Well, yeah, I mean, and I get it as a fan as well because we both came into this with expectations through the roof. Yes. And you look at what last year was and how great that team was, how fun they were to watch, and basically everyone's back unless you want to make the argument that Tony Snell and um, what's his face? Solomon Hill. Solomon Hill. Brandon Goodwin. Were actually somehow the glue to this team. Well, you know what? He actually mentioned all three of those guys and said... Uh, and I quote, I feel like we had a lot of guys who were defensive-minded when I think about it last season. And uh, I'll put that in brackets because he just said, think about it. But we had guys like Brandon Goodwin, Tony Snell, Solomon Hill. These guys, when they came into games, aren't thinking about scoring or shooting. They're thinking about how they can help the team in small ways. Interesting. And they know that it always starts with defense. That's the mentality they have. He's saying we're missing a dog like Jay Crowder, somebody who's going to get up in your face and go ape shit and try to just stop you from scoring. He says the entire team pretty much is offensive-minded. Yeah, um, I mean... And, and that, that hurts, uh, with the exception of him, obviously, because you know, he's known for playing better defense, um, even though he hasn't even done a great job of that this year. But he says we need more dogs, and we don't have dogs. Guys that will really get in your face. So then, as we know, the trade deadline came and went... We were expecting something big. And That's the reason we didn't have a show last week. Yeah. It's because we, we thought, oh, we'll, we'll talk about it after the trade deadline. We'll do a show. We're like, surely something will happen. And nothing happened. And so we're like, we're not going to bore everybody with a non-report um, <laughs> that, that, about that. So it was like, yeah. So, I mean, Schlenk must have saw what it, must have seen that, uh, you know, we were making. I mean, we all saw the improvements after Reddish left. We went 7-2, and two, played much better defense. You know, and especially the win against the Suns, I was like, oh, holy shit, here we go. And now it's just more of the same. I don't know. Once again, this team is frustrating. And we're beating a dead horse by saying the same stuff. But it's like, I don't know what to do. And neither really does Clint Capella. The last thing Kirshner really asks about in this article is, uh, you know, he's saying everyone on the roster still believes this team can do well in the playoffs. Um, and then Capella says... We're not guaranteed anything. We can still we can do well if we make it. It's late in the season, but it's not over. We can still get better. We can still do something. Um, you might have one second left in the game, and if it's tied, you can win with that little bit on the clock. We can still do this. So he still believes that the, the Hawks can do this. Um, we're 27th overall in total team defense. It's just not going to get it done. Um, I, I mean, that's not to say they can't. We know the talent's there. We know they can do it. It's just the mindset sounds like it's been wrong the whole season, like, we, like we've thought it has been. And now we're getting it straight from, you know, one of the horse's mouth, the actual player on the team. And I don't – it's really hard to dig yourself out of a mindset when that has been your mindset for so long. It's almost like you're set up to fail. And there's no way to really get out of it unless you really put the effort to do so. And it sounds like these guys have not done that. And at this point, you can't say it's early in the season. It's, no. it's weird. So this – we're coming up on the all-star break – but there's only like 25 games after the All-Star break. Yes. We're like 50 games into the season. Yes. Well, I think there's, yeah, I mean, there's, there's not a lot of season no, left. No, there really isn't. So, you got I mean, to flip a switch. We're in this like loser-ass 10th spot 
to get into the playoffs. Like, yeah, we're in the last spot. Yeah, the thing that sucks about it is even if you win that play-in game, I think you play the number one seed, so it's like you're, you're, you're screwed. Well, maybe we want to play the best, so maybe we'll step up. Maybe, but you just hate to be in – this team should not be in that situation. I think the maturation of the team is not there. There's no real leadership on the team. That's, a, that's abundantly clear to me. Uh, John Collins is the closest you have to a leader. The problem with John Collins is that he's a young player. You don't have any of those guys like Solomon Hill, like a Tony Snell, or hell, even use Vince Carter. I mean, you have Lou Williams. Yeah, Lou Williams, but obviously he's not doing anything. Defensively. To, to defensively to pro- or, or just spiritually, chemistry-wise, to get this team in a winning mindset. Um, neither is Gallinari. You know, I, I'm throwing shades at the veterans on this team. And even though that they're not the main, you know, core of the squad, you know, like Herter, like Young, um, Collins, or Hunter, you know, those are the guys that need to really step up and get this team's mind right. Maybe they don't want to do that, but we need someone to do it. You need it's it's like with the Braves. We had Guillermo Heredia. Yes. A guy who on paper doesn't play a big role. But in the locker room, plays it's a huge, huge. role. Yeah, it's like we got, it's like Zaza, Zaza that the year against two thousand eight against Kevin Garnett. Right, that's a dog. That's a dog. Ivan Johnson. Ivan Johnson is a rabbit the ultimate dog. dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we don't have that. And then you, Jack, I mean, Jack Peterson. You think about the this team reminds me a lot of the Braves uh, twenty the World Series Braves team um, that we just witnessed, we experienced. You know. Got this influx of Jock Peterson and um, Solaire and got you know especially Peterson, a guy that was really more outspoken. A lot of people credit him with you know being more of an impact than anybody, sort of getting guys out of their their headspace. And they said guys were sad when when I got here. And mm-hmm. We and I, and yeah. I you know it's like I had to do something to get him out. And we don't have we made no moves. I think we should have made a move for a dog. Someone who can really get this guy, you know, it can just take one little thing like that. Think about what happened after Jack Peterson came here. And we just turned us, it wasn't just him, but having the right mentality night in and night out, which we do not have clearly, is so critical to performance on the court. Yeah, I would have liked to see, it would have taken a lot to get him, but Marcus Smart from the Celtics, mm-hmm. like that's the ultimate. Uh, he's a dog. He's a dog, and he he's can, also really and like, he can score. He can score too. Yeah, I mean that would have been nice. Or even but, if it was, even if you had just given up Gallinari for some guy who was just more defensive minded, a veteran who can still play at a high level defensively, I'd have been fine with that. If that meant that we can turn the ship around and really get you know the most out of everybody on almost every night, because you're always going to have a couple nights where you just suck and that's okay. But it's just it's too it happens too often. We just we just don't. I am officially. Adam, I am officially putting the nail in the coffin of this season. I think this team may make the playoffs, but they are not going to do anything. We're not going to go on some miracle miracle run like we did last season. This team has to get an attitude adjustment on the offseason that we need to bring in some dogs. And if we don't do that, we'll have this more of the same next season. That's my official proclamation, is my opinion. I may be wrong, okay, but you, that's how I feel. You switched it to opinion there at the end because you've made this mistake in the past, Graham. Well, we talked about this on the last show. It's like you got to just say it's an opinion. Right, at the right. end of it. But you, that, that, is, that is my strong opinion about this basketball team. I think that we'll, uh, <clears throat> we'll turn it on in the, at the end of the season here. I still have hope in this team. What makes you think that? What have you seen to give it an, any indication? Watching games like against the Suns, watching them last night against Cleveland, 
It's like you know they can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, once and, you get into the playoffs, then it's like, all right, bright lights are here, baby. Right. But we we need to get like into at least a six seed, I think, to have like a good shot. I think having to play do that play stupid plan tournament, you're just doomed from the start. Think of it like in baseball as well. Like sometimes the whatever team wins like that little wild card game, they're tough. Because they're geared up, they're amped up, they're ready to go. Yeah. Like if we win whatever the, I, I don't is it two out of three? It's playing crap. I think so. I think it's two out of three. Winning that, and then like we could easily win a game one against their number one seed on the road. Turn we could. A, turn a series around. We could. It's just you have to go through so much hell, right? That's the thing that's frustrating. You have to go through so much hell when you're in the lower seed in the NBA. You are just you are not meant to win those early round games. It isn't like like I feel like with baseball anything can happen. In NFL almost anything can happen. NBA. When was the last time you saw? An eight seed upset a one. A couple of years ago, it happened in the West. I remember the Mavericks losing to someone they shouldn't have when they were the one seed when we were a kid. I, I don't remember this thing. It's just it happens few and far between though. Yeah, it's um, it's, it's it's probably the rarest in all the sports. Um, so I don't know. And who is the number one seed in the East, Adam? Right now, testing. How much I've been paying attention to the NBA, <laughs> huh? Yes, I am. <clears throat> It's not the Cavs, is it? No. Cavaliers are Cavs fourth. Are fourth. Um, it is Miami. That's and, weird. And they are tied with Chicago. What a weird season. It really is. I did not expect the Cavs or the Bulls to be as good as they have been this year. Miami, or Miami, for that matter. So, well, I know the Nets are free-falling. The Nets are free-falling. So that makes me happy. Yeah. So now it's kind of like, you have to play Miami... And we've struggled against this season, but we did beat them once. I think we play one more time before the season's over. It's just going to be a tough road to hoe. I don't know. Who knows what the hell will happen? I just don't think they have it. I don't think they have it in them. They needed someone to come in from outside. We didn't get it. What if they win the next five in a row? Then something got figured out, but can you continue to win at a consistent level? I mean, they went 7-2 and two a couple weeks ago. Yeah, now, they're, now they're 2-4 two, two yeah. in the last six games. So. Yep, yep, yep. On that depressing note, in classic true to Atlanta fashion, I think we will leave you all uh, with those parting words. Do you have enough knowledge about the person that the Atlanta United just signed? No. Okay. <laughs> I saw some friends of ours are thinking about going to the game on February 27th or 8th or something. We just had some big international signee. Oh, yeah. I think to replace Barco. Barco's gone? I think. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you all could see the look on his face. He said it. one eyebrow is <laughs> up on, you know, at the top of his forehead. The other one's, like, drooping into the other eye. It's I know hilarious. The, the United supporter group was upset about it because mm. he's got some weird um, personal history. Oh. So maybe we'll look into that. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's uh, yeah. some hard-hitting reporting there, Adam. <laughs> Bob Costas is rolling in his grave somewhere. Well, you know, got to mention the United once a quarter. Once a quarter. That was our quarterly United report. All right, folks, we'll <laughs> see. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Uh, until then, rise up, chop on, unite and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospital Thomas. Hospital Thomas.